Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Because older adults are living longer, they're seeking ways to stay physically active as well as finding mentally stimulating opportunities to keep their brains healthy and interact socially. According to the American Library Association, librarians across the country recognize that the growing number of older adults in communities are creating a need to identify new ways for libraries to empower older adults with engaging programs and services. My guest today is Diane Kresh, Director of Arlington, Virginia Department of Libraries. She's going to describe how libraries are moving from traditional services for America's older adults to developing innovative practices that meet the diverse characteristics and unique circumstances of this population. She'll also talk about what the Arlington Public Library is doing to create a user-friendly experience for older patrons. So welcome, Diane, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Cheryl. Pleasure to be here talking about Two of my favorite subjects, aging, because I'm doing that too, and, uh, and libraries. Okay. Well, then let's get started. I, needless to say, I'm really eager to hear a global view from you, first of all. And so let's start by talking about when librarians and directors of librarians are thinking about enhancing library resources and programs and services why is it becoming more and more important to include the needs of older adults? Great question, Cheryl. In our community of Arlington, the two fastest growing populations are school-aged children and older adults. People are living longer. They are staying on their own longer as opposed to being in facilities. And the County government, for example, has a commitment to making sure that folks who are on their own and aging in the community can still enjoy all of the benefits um, of living in community, which means interacting with the services that we have, both recreational as well as medical and uh, recreational, and also making sure that people feel that there is support within the community both informal and formal support. Formal support in the uh, under the auspices of some of the services that Health and Human Services provides, for example, as well as the recreational needs that are met by both the Department of Parks as well as libraries. So it's uh, the aging population is a significant one in Arlington and one that increasingly we are turning our attention to. And I suspect that this is true all over the country, that the population is getting older. And so as you think about these factors that you've already mentioned, is it that the programs are already in existence or are they new programs that people come up with? Or are you looking for feedback from the community residents to figure out what programs, what what is that process? Talk a little bit more about how that works in terms of figuring out how to better serve the older population. Sure. Uh, it's all of the above. And the there are some communities that are even further ahead than, than Arlington is in, in terms of 
providing innovative programs for people who are aging in place. One of the the things that I have been trying to do over the last few years is is do more visits to some of the um, community facilities, the uh, facilities like Culpeper Gardens, where people are uh, in assisted living facilities and establishing relationships with the administrators of those facilities so that we can do book clubs and that we can... Uh, Make sure that if they, if the patrons, or rather the um, the residents, need books by mail or specific kinds of services, that they're on our radar. But as as far as identifying, all public libraries reflect the needs of their community, and if we are aware that there is a need for you know, English language uh, conversation classes for people who are older and new to the community and for whom English is not their first language, we'll, we'll try to address that. There are always budgetary constraints. I can't do everything I would like to do, but uh, special programs, books by mail, large print, audio, uh visits to facilities to have a program. We have a maker space in the central library where we've started a number of crafting programs so people can come and knit or learn to sew or work on a project or have free time. So it's really, it's it's being very intentional about listening to the community. We have newsletters, we occasionally run surveys, we're going to have a community engagement process uh, that will kick off this fall where we're going to have a series of open meetings. We expect to see a lot of uh, variance in the demographic of those who are going to attend the meetings, but it's really an opportunity to hear firsthand what people in the community are interested in. Again, there are always budgetary constraints, but our most important goal is to make sure that people in the community know that they are supported by the library through a range of services. So, you know, it starts with knowing your community. And uh, for us, it's uh, a community that spans uh, more than 230, 240,000 people, according to the latest census. We have eight locations. The newest one is a full service uh, library uh, in the government building. And so each of us, uh, the branch managers and the administration of the library, take a lot of time to find out what people in the community want. We also pay attention to what's happening across the country. Just because somebody else has a good idea doesn't mean that we can't borrow it. Um, so it's it's uh, being proactive in in terms of what people want and what we can can then deliver. I was hearing you say in terms of, of programs across the country. So I was wondering if as you interact with your colleagues in other parts of the country, are there especially uh, new programs and services that will address like the physical and mental traits of, um, of this aging population? Well, pretty much every system has some kind of um, talking book program or book by mail program. So that's that's not unique to Arlington. 
there are a couple of systems that I would call exemplar. Queen's Public Library is is amazing. Uh, they're obviously serving a larger population. Public Library, Queen's Public Library in New York, uh, but they've always had um, what I consider to be a model uh, program for aging aging adults and. You know, Zooming, playing bridge, uh, long before Zoom was the means of communicating, for example, during the the pandemic, they were doing creative things where they were actually hooking up with seniors um, on iPads or computers or iPhones and just checking in. I think that was one of the things I was most concerned about during the pandemic when we were physically closed was how are we helping people deal with loneliness. Uh, Not everyone has family. Not everyone has a spouse or a partner. Not everyone has a situation where they're always being looked in on. And how do you establish those relationships that aren't intrusive, yet examples of how we're caring for one another? And, uh, you know, I think we did reasonably well. Um, The pandemic was hard for everyone on many levels, but I, but I, I still think that my, my worry is, is loneliness, which then leads to depression and um, hopelessness. And how can the library do more than it is currently to make sure people feel cared for and engaged in the community? And I think doing more with um, iPhones and iPads and PCs and connecting, much as we are this morning, uh, is is a way to keep people engaged and and knowing that there's somebody out there uh, interested in who they are and what they're about. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up about technology in general. Talk more about the so-called digital divide. Uh, what what do you see? First of all, what does that mean as you? Uh, as the director of the library, think about and others in other parts of the country, how are you going to address that issue? Because you've got young people that come to the library who are very adept at using all kinds of technology, and you've got older adults who are used to using the telephone when they were growing up. And so what is the process that you and your staff think about in terms of trying to serve the needs of those who are more, say, technology-challenged? Well, we we look at the same data everyone else does. I mean, the, the cell phone penetration in 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 most communities is pretty high, and that's shown to be true regardless of income or education level. The, the challenge is making sure that people who have the devices know how to use the devices for something other than just uh, telephone or taking pictures. Um, we have in the past done uh, classes using the students who are in the technology clubs at the local high schools to sit down and, and uh, you know, meet with grandma and grandpa after, after the holidays and do classes in this is how you use your device. Um, I also don't want to assume that every older adult is, is computer inept. Uh, there are many older adults who are quite, quite comfortable using new technology and, that that is the the population we worry less about. I mean, we have a, a library app, which enables um, patrons to p- 
place a hold, um, download a book, find out whether the library holds it, get information and news, uh, communicate on, on events, etc. cetera. Uh, that, that has shown a very high rate of adoption. So it's, it's obvious to me that not everyone who uses the library app or downloads the library app is, is a young person. That said, uh, is our technology easily used by people across the, the de- demographic spectrum? And I think that's a constant um, quest, if you will. I, I, I don't have all of the answers. I know that digital divide is a thing. How serious it is in Arlington, I don't know. Uh, we do offer classes. Years ago, it was basic classes on how to sign up for email and how to use a mouse. We've moved, obviously, well beyond that. But I think, again, asking questions uh, of people when we do surveys, how easy is it for you to connect with the library by means other than walking in the door? Um, the other thing, too, is we noticed during the pandemic when people people had a lot of problems signing up for vaccines, for example, and uh, you know understanding what that process was. And that was true of people who were old and young and non-English speaking, et cetera. And so I think government, and I'll speak to the government because that's the organization I'm part of, has an obligation to make sure that there are many ways in so that if you don't have access to technology, you don't have broadband, you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have a quiet place in your home, that we can pool our resources in DHS and DPR and libraries to make sure that we're providing those kinds of services. Um, you know, I, I again, I think with technology evol- evolving as it as it does, the solutions I come up with today will be probably out of date or irrelevant by, you know, the next year or so. So I think that the challenge is to keep working with our counterparts in technology services in the library, paying attention to what's happening nationally, and making sure that the solutions that we create as a government uh, meet as many needs as possible, recognizing, again, that technology is going to evolve and we'll have to keep up. I'd say we're doing pretty well. I think there are systems that are doing more than we do. Um, it's it's hard to talk about, you know, everybody going back to the term digital divide and being something different to everyone. And so trying to come up with common language that then lead to common solutions, recognizing that we're, we're probably at best going to hit that that middle, as opposed to being really strong on one end or the other. So it's, um, I guess the, the watchwords I would use for any of this program planning or or thinking about how best to serve the people is, is that we have to pay attention. We have to ask questions and we have to pay attention. And to that point, Diane, I also just wanted to step back for one moment, and because we had been talking about physical and mental impacts of of aging, and wanted to take that to kind of the ultimate in terms of what we need for reading or, or participation in so many activities, and that's what kind of library resources are available for blind 
and low vision patrons. Is is that changing? Uh, since you said that the digital uh, world is changing, is that also changing for uh, individuals, older individuals, especially who are blind or low vision or have low vision? Well, we participate in the uh, Library of Congress National Program for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. Uh, at least that's the name I know it by, as having worked there for a number of years. But that's that is a program that that targets people with uh, visual impairment or audio or physical impairment. And years ago, I don't know, Cheryl, you may remember the Talking Books program and. Originally, it was Braille books. Well, now they have a um, a, a technology solution uh, for delivering books to to people who are visually impaired through technology. So, I'm not as well versed in that program. If people want to find out more about it, they should go to our website and and check it out. But that's the program that is is managed nationally by the, the Library of Congress. We do have, for people who are experiencing mental impairment, we have memory cafes, which are hosted and managed by library staff and volunteers. Um, And we just, we offer referral services. If people are at the beginning of trying to understand how to get services either for themselves or a family member, they can contact the library and the library will make referrals to existing programs in the county or in the region to address the kinds of problems being described. And another area, and and you already mentioned it, Diane, especially in connection with during COVID, of supporting social connection for older adults. And I can remember personally when COVID was going on full blast that there really was limited opportunities and you could only check out a few things. And And uh, I really congratulate Arlington Library in terms of how they still helped all patrons to have services. Of course, we're thinking about COVID again. Is there any discussion already for libraries anticipating if there might be any changes in connection with a resurge in COVID or uh, is it going to be that the libraries will stay open and in some modified fashion? Well, I don't have any information today that suggests that we're heading toward a lockdown. Remember, the lockdown happened. There, there, there wasn't a vaccine. There weren't boosters. There weren't health protocols that communities, uh, most communities have, have then put in place. I would be taking my direction, if you will, from the public health officer, Ruben Varghese, Dr. Dr. Varghese. And if he were to say, based on looking at data and consulting with his peers across the region and with the CDC in Atlanta, uh, a determination would be made, yeah, we're headed for another major surge and we need to take more precautions. I mean, what I would do minimally if, if I got such a directive from the public health officer is reinstitute mask wearing, for example, in in our facilities and and putting back in place protocols like, you know, stay 10 feet away from, from uh, other patrons. Uh, none of that currently is on the horizon. So I'm not expecting to make any changes until such time as the public health 
official signals that we need to change some of our practices on the ground. And that's good news. I mean, and hopefully we won't, the library won't have to resort to the practice that occurred uh, a few years ago. Uh, I think that really limits how many services that you can provide. But I did want to ask another question again in terms of the aging community, Diane, and that's about folks who are homebound, that they can't get out uh, either because they don't have transportation or they don't, they have some physical limitation. Are there programs that, uh, and services that the library provides to take the services to them? Well, we, I mentioned it earlier, we have the books by mail program. And so uh, if you've broken your arm and you can't hold a, uh, a book, that's where the talking book program would be uh, a service. If you are uh, isolated because you're in a wheelchair and it's difficult to get around, uh, but you don't have a visual in, uh, or other kind of uh, impairment, you can be a subscriber to Books by Mail. And the staff will get in touch with you, create a patron profile. You know, I like to read mysteries or I like to read uh, biography, etc. And you can get the uh, materials delivered to your home. If you're living in a facility like a Culpeper Gardens, for example, or a Sunrise, we occasionally do programs so that if you can't leave your room, but you can, or excuse me, you can leave your room and get down to, say, a, a central community room, community space, you can participate in a book club or a crafting program or storytelling or, or whatever. So I'd say our most popular and effective programs for people who can't get out are both books by mail and the talking books. And then beyond that, it depends on whether or not uh, there's a critical number of people in a facility who would benefit from the program, because we're not in a position where we're going to visit every single person who can't get to the library, but we will rely on our community partners in DHS, for example, to let us know where some critical needs are and try to set up something um, Again, working through administrators of those prog- of those facilities. So, books by mail. If you if if no one hears anything else from this podcast, books by mail, talking books. Those are the two best for people who are homebound. And Diane, if people are listening to this program right now and um, they think, "Oh, gee, I didn't realize that that was uh, available." What's the best way? You mentioned the website, but what is that address? Is there somebody who will answer the phone if you're interested in that? Or how does that work? I don't know if someone will answer the phone. I think the best thing is to is to go to the website, uh, look it up, and um, f- follow the instructions. It, it might be an email exchange, you know, put your email address in and we'll contact you later, or what are you looking for, that kind of thing. I don't have... Um, the site page in front of me, but those two programs, both the talking book program and the book by mail should be, uh, definitely will be on the web. And I believe uh, also information about both programs can be obtained from the library app. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break right now. We are learning about libraries and the role that they play all over the country and also here in Arlington, Virginia, 
for our older adult residents. And in case you tuned in late and uh, you didn't hear, we're interviewing Diane Kresh, who is the director of the Arlington, Virginia Department of Libraries. And you're listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're having a great discussion with Diane Kresh, Director of Arlington, Virginia Department of Libraries, about the importance of libraries and the lives of older adults. And Diane, you covered a lot of information already in the first half of this interview about the kind of services that libraries provide and programs and uh, addressing the needs of, of the personal, maybe the mental and physical. But to that point, Talk about volunteer opportunities. Do libraries generally and Arlington specifically offer volunteer opportunities? And what what are you looking for? Well, the short answer is yes. We employ a lot of volunteers. In fact, wouldn't be able to provide the coverage across the spectrum of things that we're doing without the help of volunteers. And they'll they'll do everything from shelving, uh, reshelving the collections, providing. PC help in our computer labs, leading conversation classes for new Americans, teaching citizenship classes. So just about any activity the library is engaged in uh, is is really dependent on volunteers to be you know to to make them uh, robust and sustainable. So it's uh, we have a an application people fill out and indicate their areas of interest. Generally, we interview the person, try to find the best fit. I think most people, if they're going to volunteer, they want to do something meaningful. They want to do something purposeful. They want to feel like they're of use. And uh, we try to match their interests and skill levels with actual tasks that the library needs doing. A couple of years ago, uh, a woman who used to work with, this is an example, uh, with the county's technology services department was interested in doing some volunteer work and and came in and worked with the IT team on mapping a, uh, a strategy for connecting our intranet uh, with the uh, with the web. So it's it's it really depends on what the need is for us at the time and who steps forward. But I think the community as a whole has a strong commitment to volunteers and a very active program. So it's it's not unusual for just about every activity that we do, including including the ones that, you know, story times for young children are uh, in part staffed by, by volunteers. And, you know, it, it, we're going to obviously... Uh, pay attention to the schedule. Uh, 
If you're a volunteer, you're you're maybe volunteering in a number of different organizations. That's sometimes helpful for creating partnership opportunities with other communities uh, within the county. So it um, it pays off for us in a lot of different ways. Both it it takes the burden of our having to do everything uh, away, as well as introducing us to people who have unique skills to offer and that we can benefit from. So it's really it's it's a win win for the the volunteer as well as the library. And I want to turn now really very specifically, you've been talking already about Arlington Public Library. And Diane, I know that you have have a very distinguished career at Arlington Public Library. When you came to the library, what what did what was your vision? How did you view what the role of the library would be in the community? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh my chief, well, there were a couple of things. One, I had worked in a large research-centric organization for 30 years. So I was interested in, in being a part of a community, a small community, smaller, and also being able to know the people I was serving, which was not the case in a large cultural institution. Uh I grew up in Arlington, so for me, it was a way to give back to the community I had been raised in and gone to school in and still continued to be around. I lived in D.C. for a long time, but I was always in and around Arlington because my parents were here. So it was very much a, I'd say, a homecoming of sorts. One specific thing I wanted to do was to create a community reads program, which I've called Arlington Reads where we bring in um, authors who are writing about topics of interest to the community. We share in, in being close to DC, there are lots of people who work for the government and think tanks and people who are involved in policy and concerns that each of us has as Americans and as people who are interested, for example, in social justice or fair housing or making sure that people have um, enough money and income to provide for their health care needs. And so all of those things were uh, in my mind as I started the Arlington Reads program, which is, mm, I, I, I say it's become kind of a hub of community conversation. And that was absolutely part of my vision to create community conversations, to be very direct about involving the community and talking about the most pressing needs of and, and interests of the day. And that, that includes everything from um, immigration to climate change. And we've had authors, both fiction and nonfiction, who have addressed those issues. And we have uh, significant crowds of people who are regular attendees, and sometimes they're attending for the first time because it's an author that they like. This Thursday, we have a program with a young man who traveled from El Salvador um, to the United States when he was nine, and he wrote a memoir, which is called Solito. His name is Javier Zamora. And uh, again, that's going to be a perspective that is very different from mine. And it's important for us as the library to be welcoming to everyone. We recognize that everyone has a story. I think that's the tagline that I would say is most associated with my tenure here in Arlington as the director. 
and it's uh, a very intentional engagement with everyone, uh, from how we design our buildings, to the kinds of programs, to the staff uh, that we hire who reflect the demographics of the community. We're very, very, very uh, um, deliberate in our attempt to be welcoming to everyone and having everyone recognize that when they come into the library, it's a safe space where they can be who they are, where they can love who they want to love, have the conversations that they want to have, read the books they want to read, and without fear of of uh, being censored or having, having the collections uh, suppressed. So all of those things were definitely part of the vision. I had never worked in a public library, and it at times, I can honestly say I forget that I was 30 years someplace else because this this has been such a, a good fit with my personal values as well as my commitment to the profession. And I just wanted to expand on one of the things that you just said in terms of meeting the needs in, in the community. And of course, we both know that Arlington, there are at least 40 different languages that are spoken has that been a particular challenge if their primary language, their first language is not English? Has that been a challenge to try to meet their needs if they need uh, materials and books and, and whatever that are in a different language? We have uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking staff, and we have Spanish-speaking staff at probably all of our eight locations uh, we have staff from, from Asia. We have staff from the Middle East. We are obviously not equipped to deal with, I think actually the figure is something like 92 different languages spoken in the Arlington Public Schools. We, we are not equipped <laughs> to offer uh, materials or staff help in the native language of each of those countries uh, or those languages. That said, uh, we are very strong in in Asian languages, some anyway, uh, definitely Spanish, and uh, also the um, Amharic. So those are, we, we kind of follow the lead of county comms, the county communications office, in making sure that when we're offering a program, that if we can do dual translation, we will, but uh, it's uh, we're, we're not equipped to address all of the languages. We, we do pretty well, but, um, but obviously there are many languages that aren't addressed at all. Another area that occurs to me is, of course, we know that sometimes older adults have a limited income. And most everything in the libraries are free, but I noticed over time there used to be a fine if you were late in terms of getting your books or materials or whatever, and now that's no longer the case. Talk more about that decision and why that was established. So we eliminated fines in July of 2020. So um, in, in, interestingly, it kind of coincided with the pandemic, uh, which I think was a, a happy uh, accident because people were already pretty stressed and not having to worry about library fines um, was definitely a stress reducer. Uh, it's something I had wanted to do for a number of years, and I was paying attention to systems across the country 
systems much larger than ours, uh, Chicago, for example, and California, San Francisco. So what I was doing wasn't necessarily novel. Uh, It was consistent with trends across the United States, recognizing that those who are least able to pay the fines are the ones who suffer the most when their fine prohibits their use of the library because you get to a certain threshold and we've asked for the money and we can't get it. And then at some point your privileges get suspended. And I thought that was wrong as many library directors across the country uh, agreed. So we put a proposal in in my budget proposal for that year and it was accepted um, by both the county manager and the county board. Now, there were people in the community who didn't agree with that and probably still don't agree with that, but I believe firmly that it's a community resource and that we should not be penalizing people who are in a different economic uh, situation or transportation. You know, they can't get to the library or a child who has too many books out. What a terrible message to say you're being penalized for reading too much and you can't get your books back on time. So uh, that was eliminated and... Um, I still feel really good about how we were able to do that. And uh, we have not suffered any losses of the material as a result. That was typically an argument, not necessarily in Arlington, but nationwide against. And uh, the loss rate is whatever the loss rate is. Now, I will say that if Cheryl Beversdorf loses the book, like it's not you know, late, it's lost, we will require that you pay for the reacquisition. I don't know, $25 or something like that. But uh, that's the only instance where somebody has to make good on a book that is, um, has been not returned to, not returned to the library. Well, I'll definitely keep that in mind, Diane, and make sure that I don't lose any of the Arlington Library books. But thank you for the advice there. I also wanted to ask you about how uh, the Arlington Library develops partnerships with other community organizations. Are there services that the people can come over and provide services within the library, also for older adults? And talk more about that in terms of what's available and what's offered. We have a unit called Programs and Partnerships, which uh, they both staff all of the programs and they as part of their portfolio, they are active in seeking partnerships with other organizations, generally nonprofits, but not exclusively. We have really good relationships with other county departments. Uh, I've mentioned a couple already repeatedly, uh, Parks and Recreation and Human Services, but it doesn't end there. We have partnerships with the police department and the fire department. And when I say partnerships, it's a way of extending to the community their understanding of the services that the county government can provide. So we do reading programs, we do safety awareness programs. We are very conscious of the heritage months. Uh, We're just about to uh, enter into Hispanic Heritage Month, Month, which begins in the middle of this week and through our promotions of programs as well as partnerships with community organizations that focus on new Americans, particularly those coming from Central and South America, 
we sometimes do events together. We promote their programs. We promote citizenship classes, for example. And uh, I think that's a big part of how we are seen as relevant and connected in the community, that we are, where possible, the um, both, both joining with other groups, but also initiating that connection. We've had a partnership with um, the Arlington Food Assistance Program, oh gosh, forever, probably since I, I got to Arlington. We have the gardens, which are around the Central Library, which are uh, food producing, and the uh, food that's produced is turned over to AFAC. We have, we collect food goods uh, during the missing middle conversations that the county hosted. We were partnering with the uh, affordable housing nonprofits to make sure that people had the information that they needed as issues and policy changes were going before the board. So yeah, that's a real active part of our outreach is to connect with other partners so that we don't have to do all of the work ourselves. And a lot of the times it's just picking up the telephone and saying, hey, we're going to do a partner, excuse me, a program. Are you interested in doing the program with us or tabling at the event? And that's going to be true across the board, all of the demographics. Um, as you know, Cheryl, I, I did a program with the uh, Arlington Neighborhood Village a couple of weeks ago to let people who are part of that community know about the services that can be provided in the library, uh, either in person or as an outreach uh, opportunity. So I feel like our community partnerships contribute significantly to the strength that we have, both as an organization and, and as a provider of services. And if I remember correctly, Diane, also during tax season, isn't there a group from AARP that provides uh, tax uh, income tax services for uh, uh, low-income older adults? You bet. And I don't, I don't believe it's uh, limited to low income. I think, you know, I th they accept all comers. Okay. Some of my uh, retiree friends from, from county government have certainly availed themselves of that service. Uh, so it's a really strong program, super popular. We generally have Oh gosh, I think there are two general two locations that uh, AARP sets up in uh, Central and I believe Columbia Pike, and every year they serve more and more clients, and they're busy from the time they set up until until tax day. So it's a great partnership. We love being able to provide the the space and and making that stress of tax filing go away for a lot of people by having volunteers and experts help you with your uh, your tax return. I think that's justifiably one of our most popular and well-attended programs. And yes, it's free, 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 free. Thank you for adding that. I also wanted to ask you a question about how Arlington Library partners with other libraries in the in the DMV? I mean, do you have a relationship with those in Maryland or the district? How does that work? It's generally in the uh, area of reciprocal borrowing so that we can, uh, I, I borrow, for example, from Charles County. I have a home in Charles County, Maryland, and I borrow from their collection and uh, borrow from DC. So reciprocal borrowing is the best way 
Occasionally, we've done some joint programming, particularly literary programming. We've um, participated, for example, with Fairfax's uh, Fall for the Books. Uh, but I'd say the reciprocal borrowing is is the best uh, example of regional partnership. Um, every li- public library serves a different community, so uh, it's it's going to be more of a challenge to deliver programs, for example, that are going to be of interest to patrons in, say, Fairfax or Loudoun, uh, who have the same level of interest as patrons in, in Arlington. And again, that goes back to a public library reflects its community. So reciprocal borrowing seems to be the best way to um, share the wealth that libraries throughout the region have to offer patrons, and again, for free. You had mentioned a little bit before about, I thought you did, educational courses or possibilities for learning new skills. Talk a little bit more about that. I was looking on the website myself and was noticing that that's also available. What are some of those educational courses or ones where you could learn new skills? So those are going to be available through our databases, lynda.com, for example, or I believe there's also one that is sponsored by LinkedIn. So if you go to the website for the online resources, the databases, that's where you're going to find the information about classes. Um, I think lynda.com has a lot of YouTube type how-to videos if you're a home repair person. So that's where we generally point people who are interested in taking classes. If you're interested in a conversation class, we sponsor those on-site citizenship classes, uh, obviously book groups. So that's that's going to be more of the in-person. The shop is located on the second floor of the Central Library building, and that's where you can sign up for classes to learn how to sew or to quilt, or just to drop in and have free time and have staff help you with a home project, some of which might be a crafting project, some of which might be a, I want to rewire this lamp, and we have volunteers. This is another plug for volunteers who know how to do those kinds of things, coming in and you bring in your little appliance, and uh, somebody will help you fix your broken toaster. So it's it, it kind of runs the gamut from I'm going to take a a course through lynda.com or LinkedIn, or I'm going to uh, come on site and have somebody fix my my lamp that is no longer working. And Diane, if somebody wants to sign up for these courses, do they have to be Arlington residents or do you take all comers? You have to have an Arlington library card. I mean, if you're just coming in to do the... um, open class, you know, you're not going to get carded. Like you find, you know, you live in Fairfax, there's an open class uh, in the lab Wednesday afternoon at three. We're not going to turn you away, but generally people sign up uh, via their library card. Another category, if you will, obviously older adults, I always say are anywhere from 50 to 100. And so one could only assume that there are certain older adults in our community that are still employed. Has there been a lot of effort to help those or they not only are employed right now, but maybe want to be employed? How do you meet the needs of that group? 
not formally. I mean, we do have uh, all of our postings are open postings. Uh, so when we're advertising for a vacancy, we accept anybody who meets the minimum quali qualifications. And the county website has a list of all of the available jobs and ours are listed under there as well. So if somebody was retired and wanted to start working in the library, there are a couple of different things they could do. They could start by volunteering and figure out, oh, I, I kind of like doing this kind of work. What are the opportunities available? We do hire subs and temps uh, who are supplementing the professional permanent staff that we have. And subs have the best of both worlds because they get paid. <laughs> and they also um, can, can be really flexible around their hours. You know, uh, people who retired and don't necessarily want a full-time job, but they want occasional work that's purposeful and meaningful. So sub opportunities are a good way to, um, to, to be reemployed. We occasionally work with the Arlington Employment Center, which is part of human services. Uh, but again, if somebody's interested, I'd, I'd recommend two things. Check the county human resources website for existing vacancies and they'll have descriptions of the jobs, both ours as well as every other job across the county that's available. And again, if you meet the minimum quals, there's a good chance you'll come in and be interviewed uh, and then potentially offered a job. We uh, also, again, recommend coming and, and volunteering, filling out the application, which is through the website, and uh, figuring out whether Volunteering in the library is something that might lead to temporary employment as, as a sub. Diane, we're just about out of time. Wanted to find out, is there any particular library program or service that's coming up soon? But something that you wanted to tell folks about, and then also just best way to learn more about Arlington Library programs and services for older adults. This is National Library Card Sign-Up Month. So if there are listeners who used to use the library but have lapsed or, gee, I haven't renewed my card in a while, maybe I should do that. There's, there's lots available in every library across the nation. And libraries need the support of patrons to be sustainable and uh, viable. So I would encourage anybody who has a card to check the expiration, and if it's lapsed, then then consider re-upping for something that's... Uh, I, I think, you know, in this country, we sometimes take our public um, services for, for granted, but I think it's the best deal around, considering the range of services and materials and books and expertise and in comfortable surroundings in, in most cases, it's, it, you can't beat it. And it's uh, the privilege of being in a, in a democracy such as ours where people have the right to read uh, what they want and to be educated how they choose and to connect with other like-minded or maybe even not so like-minded community members. And it's all, it's all for free. And I think the public service part of the profession of librarianship is the one that I hold most dear and was most important to me. I, I don't know if you know this, Cheryl, but next year I'll be 50 years, five zero in the library profession, and it has never gotten old. 
and I've never been more proud to be in this profession than I am right now. So there's Library Card Month. Uh, Band Book Week is coming up in the first week of October. That may be an odd thing to, quote, celebrate. But I think now more than ever, people need to stand up for band books and make sure that the materials that people need to lead the kinds of lives they want to lead and need to leave, especially our young people, we have to do all we can to make sure that uh, library collections, whether they're school library collections or public library collections or academic and research library collections, that they remain free and uncensored. And that that issue is extremely important. It's important nationwide. Uh, it's very important in the state of Virginia. It's very important in Arlington County. And my staff and I do everything we can to reflect the interests of the community in what we select for the collections. And we are absolutely firm and committed to making sure that the collections remain free and unfettered. A good way to close out this really very stimulating, interesting interview with Diane Kresh, Director of Arlington, Virginia Department of Libraries. Thank you so much, Diane, for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. It was a real a real pleasure, always a pleasure to talk about libraries. Well, to learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of our Aging Matters radio programs, our TV show content, and of course, the uh, Aging Matters podcast. Aging Matters is produced in association with a company called Ink Mouth Media. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Thank you.